Written and read by Oliver Gray. Chapter 13. None of the jurors had ever taken on such a duty before, so they listened attentively, if nervously, as a clerk gave them their instructions. It was a plain, neon-lit, white-painted room with a large table in the middle, surrounded by plastic chairs. There were the formalities of the organisation of toilet breaks and how to work the coffee urn in the corner, but the most important thing to do immediately was to elect a foreman, who would act as chairperson of the group and later deliver the verdict. Luckily, a man in his thirties called Jeff Taylor volunteered straight away and was elected unopposed, the others being relieved they weren't going to have to take on the responsibility. Having pointed out the whiteboard on the wall and the felt-tip pens to go with it, the clerk departed. OK, so the first thing we need to do is introduce ourselves, said Jeff, taking charge in a businesslike manner. Among the twelve were a retired female teacher, a young fireman, a rather posh lady who described herself as a housewife, and a very quiet librarian with a beard. Nobody seemed very confident or assertive, as Jeff outlined how he thought they should proceed. It's possible we can deal with this quickly, he said. Let's go round the table. Maybe we'll all agree and we can go home. So, bearing in mind what the judge says about being absolutely sure, who thinks Mort is guilty? I'll start. I say he is guilty. This took the other jurors aback, as they hadn't expected to be put on the spot so soon. Hold on a minute, interjected the fireman, whose name was Guy. Don't you think we should have our discussion first? We'll have a discussion, of course, replied Jeff. This is just to establish where we all stand at the outset. As each juror spoke, the main sentiment of all of them was that their instinct was that Mort was guilty, but not all of them had absolutely no doubt. Seven members said immediately that they believed he was guilty, while five weren't sure. OK, we have to try and reach a unanimous verdict, so what we have to do now is try to reach a point where we all agree. Could one of you explain why you aren't certain he's guilty? The retired schoolteacher's name was Dorothy Martin. Tentatively, she tried to put her feelings into words. My fear is that if we pronounce him guilty, he'll go to prison for many years. He has a baby being born soon, and the mentor told us he was turning his life around. Doesn't someone like that deserve a second chance? Uh, not if he's a murderer, no, responded Jeff. No, of course not. But it's this absolutely certain thing that makes me hesitate, because no one actually saw him do it. Look, said Jeff, you only have to take one look at him to see he's a violent thug and a chav. I wouldn't be surprised to find out he's got a record as long as your arm. Now the librarian, Brian Houghton, joined in. That isn't relevant, though, is it? We were clearly told to stick to the facts of the case without prejudice. We can't convict someone just because we don't like him. We have to have proof. That's how I feel too, agreed Dorothy. All right, then. Jeff tried another tack. Let's go through the facts as we know them and see where that leads us. Let's start with how Mort behaved in the music room, shouting and swearing for no reason. Surely that was beyond the pale. The posh lady, Andrea Hamilton, agreed. Yes, quite appalling. In my opinion, the man was completely out of control. That proves he was in the state where he could do anything. Even commit murder? Yes, he was certainly drunk and angry enough. All the witnesses agreed on that. It was noticeable that, round the table, there were some jurors who were determined to keep their heads down and not join in with the discussion. This was a mixture of shyness and lack of confidence. Several of them simply nodded in agreement with everything anyone said, 
indicating the indecision engendered by the ambivalent nature of the case. Where was the concrete evidence? Let's discuss what we think actually happened in that car park then, suggested Jeff. Does anyone here think it was an accident? No way was it an accident, said the fireman. All that stuff about banana skins, who would ever believe that? He's just had a major row with someone and been threatened with murder, and all of a sudden he slips over and splits open his head. His voice was filled with sarcasm. Dorothy wasn't convinced. Nevertheless, we can't be sure that it wasn't an accident. The pathologist said it was a possibility. Mrs. Hamilton disagreed. No, it would be too much of a coincidence for him to have fallen over just at that moment. I believe that at the very least he must have been pushed. No one apart from Dorothy thought that manslaughter was an option. They all agreed that, if a simple accident had occurred, the brick would still have been on the floor and wouldn't have been picked up and put in the bin. They were amazed that no one seemed to have pointed that out in court, and Dorothy was forced to concede the point. The librarian, Brian, intervened at this point. That's the crux of the matter, isn't it? The old chestnut, did he fall or was he pushed? As a matter of interest, does anyone here think Mort simply bashed him over the head with a brick? I do. It was Jeff again. That's exactly the sort of thing a bloke like that would do. I think so as well, said Mrs. Hamilton. We know he threatened to kill him, so that's what he did, in my opinion. I take your point, accepted Dorothy, but to what extent do we accept that it was a genuine murder threat? Several people, and even the judge, pointed out that it could have been just empty words, not really meaning anything. I'm quite clear in my mind, said Guy the farmer. If you say you're going to kill someone, and the next thing you know, the guy's been found dead, there's got to be a connection. On top of that, Mort's DNA and fingerprints are all over the body. What more proof do you want? The foreman, Jeff, is clearly keen to get home to his dinner. I'm still not sure, this was Dorothy again. If it was murder, he must have come up behind and hit him. That means the fingerprint on the badge and the DNA on the jacket came from earlier. We could dismiss them as evidence altogether. Guy wasn't convinced. We need to consider what the witnesses said about what happened outside. It was obvious that they'd all rehearsed what they were going to say. Those students in the band would have been scared stiff of Morton's gang and said anything they told them to. You know, you never saw a thing, get it? Otherwise you know what's going to happen to you. Brian, the librarian, helped out. Yes, this is the crucial thing for me, and it does make me think he's guilty. He's obviously put the Frighteners on everyone to say they saw nothing. Where it went wrong was when the lawyer tricked Bright into saying he might have seen something. Did you see Mort's face? He wasn't expecting that. Mrs. Hamilton joined in. More importantly, the only credible witness, who hasn't been nobbled, did actually see an argument going on in the car park. That's what I was going to say, agreed Guy. That head teacher is the only impartial witness, so he's the one I believe. Dorothy was weakening. Was he completely impartial, though? He was connected to that young man who put the concert on. Jeff snorted. So that's a reason to invent a story to get someone convicted of murder? I don't think so. The jury had been deliberating for less than an hour, and Jeff sensed that they could get the verdict settled rapidly. Let's just check round the table again. Raise your hand if you think he's guilty. This time, eleven hands were raised, some more confidently than others. Peer pressure, which Dorothy Martin was well acquainted with from her work as a teacher, was fully operational, but she was not ready to give in yet. I'd like to remind everyone, before we sleepwalk into a verdict we may regret, that the judge said we could only convict if we had absolutely no doubt that he did it, and did it on purpose. 
should we not at least consider the possibility of manslaughter, that he may have pushed Sander over and didn't intend to kill him? Jeff was impatient now, all pretense at impartiality discarded. You know what? You're just a do-gooder. If we go down that path, we're literally letting someone get away with murder. Uh, hang on, objected Brian. There's no need to talk to her like that. We're all entitled to our opinions. Well, said Mrs. Hamilton, I've got my own opinion, thank you, and that is that Mort would never have had the strength to push over a huge man like Xander. It went quiet for a moment before Dorothy, still not quite defeated, expressed her final doubts. Don't forget that the head teacher didn't actually identify the people who were arguing. He said he couldn't see them clearly. That did it. A chorus of disapproval swept the room. Ridiculous, oh, for goodness sake. Who the hell else do you think it was? Dorothy was in a minority of one. OK, so what are we going to do? asked Jeff. We can carry on debating for a few more hours until the judge lets us bring in a majority verdict, or we can agree it's manslaughter. Heads shook all round him. Or Dorothy can admit she's barking up the wrong tree. All eyes turned to Dorothy, who showed signs of confusion. She was an elderly lady, merely trying to do the right thing. But in the face of total opposition, even she now doubted her instincts. Remember, Dorothy, said Brian, bringing the atmosphere down to a more gentle level. You'll have to live with the responsibility of letting a guilty man get away with a vile crime. Could your conscience allow that? Dorothy swallowed. Then, tentatively, she raised her hand. You're probably right. Maybe I'm being foolish. I'll go along with your decision. Excellent. Jeff's hand was already reaching for the bell to call the clerk of the court. Minutes later, the jury filed back into court. The judge wasted little time, inviting the foreman to stand up. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, Your Honour. Do you find Barry Mort guilty or not guilty of murder? Guilty. Pandemonium broke out instantly. Shelley burst into tears. A couple of family members stood up, pointing, gesticulating and shouting, while Mort himself simply stood in the dock, pale and open-mouthed, shaking his head. After order was restored, the judge asked for a brief adjournment while he considered the sentence. When he returned, he addressed his remarks directly to Mort, who still appeared completely shell-shocked, his eyes red from where he had apparently been crying. Mr. Mort, you have been found guilty of murder, and it is now my duty to pronounce sentence. In so doing, I have taken into account several mitigating matters. Firstly, I accept that you have been making efforts to overcome your criminal past. Secondly, I am aware that you are shortly to become a father. And thirdly, I accept that you were severely provoked. Nevertheless, murder is the most serious crime that can be committed. As you have been found guilty, it has been accepted that it was both cold-blooded and premeditated. Taking all these things into consideration, I sentence you to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 15 years. Shelley immediately collapsed again, while Mort looked for a second as if he was about to faint. The members of the press present scribbled their last notes and rushed off to file their stories. The BBC South reporter took up a position in front of the flint walls of the courthouse, ready to film a piece for South today. The jurors, having filled in their expense forms, drifted off to their cars, buses and trains, all feeling drained. The traditional huddle of friends and relatives lit up their cigarettes, looking as if they were at a funeral. Poor Kevin Bright, knowing how badly he'd let the side down, was being comforted as he sobbed. Nobody seemed to be blaming him. They were all too shell-shocked. 
Things had happened so fast. Not even Derek White, the reporter from the Weekly News, had expected to be filing his report so soon. If he rushed, he could just hit the deadline before the paper went to print in a couple of hours' time. As he hurried back to the office, he was pleased that he prepared his report in advance. All that was missing was the verdict and the little matter of Mort's chain of previous convictions for unprovoked acts of violence, released immediately after the sentence. This certainly comforted Dorothy, and reinforced the rest of the jury in their confidence in the verdict. A bad guy had got what he deserved. This audiobook was a DC 10 tonight production.